Welcome back to the A24 podcast. We recently brought together old friends and cinema royalty, Isabella Rossellini and Willem Dafoe, for a long-distance Zoom conversation full of never-before-revealed stories from their time working with David Lynch on movies like Wild at Heart and Blue Velvet. We hope you enjoy the episode, and catch Isabella Rossellini as the beloved Nana Connie in Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, now in theaters. Hi. Hi, I'm Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> Hi, Hi, I'm Will... I'm Willem Dafoe, <laughs> or the other way around. We are actors, so you never know. And this is the podcast for A24. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm fine, and you? Good, where are you? So you I'm in New why. York. I'm in, outside Rome. Outside Rome, that's what I thought, because I can see on Zoom the door behind you, and I said, that's not America. <laughs> no, it's in fact, in fact, it's an Indian door actually. It's but, an Indian uh, door. So yeah. you could have been in India, but I thought Italy. <laughs> I could be in Italy, but uh, India, but in, I'm in Italy. <laughs> in a in a decidedly Indian uh, decor room, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, do you speak Italian by now, Willem? You do. Ah, right? si, parlo non bene. Scrivo ogni giorno. Si, si. Oh, really. You st- you're taking lessons or you just a little bit learn? once a week I take uh, a lesson but I read a little bit in the morning the, the, well the Italian grammar is very complicated but if it's yeah. of any consolation we Italian make many mistakes when we talk ah, especially saw, the, saw. The, the, the verb the verb are so difficult so we make mistakes I know the verbs are a killer <laughs> it's yes it's true recently I found out I can actually fight in Italian you know oh, when yeah. I'm angry <laughs> very, very good. Sometimes so saying big words in a different language, it allows you. Because sometimes <laughs> when um, when I say, well, we can't say it now because, but I don't know if it can be censored or not. This podcast. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. If I say "fuck" in English, yeah. it doesn't resonate in me as strong as it probably resonates into an American. So right. it, when I fight with and I fought with my husband, I often switched to English. I felt I was very violent in my language in English, but I couldn't use the same strength in Italian because those words hit me. And then I thought, oh, I don't want to be that that hard. <laughs> so I'm sure you have, uh, you know, a lot of bad words. <laughs> oh, God. I, uh, that's the first thing you learn, you know? Oh, yes. And in Italy, they elaborate. They can invent the, new words, yeah. The other ridiculous thing is, of course, maybe it's partly because I'm an actor but, and I like to mimic things, but you learn gestural language, you know? Yes. Certain, Many things. You know, I just found, somebody gave me a teeny book uh, with all the Italian gestures, and it's wonderful. And some of it is references to a very long history of how they came about. And I didn't know it. Of course, I do Italian gesture, but I didn't know how they came about. And so much of the gestures, yeah, they're also used in the Commedia dell'arte, in all this improvised theater ah. of Italy, where there was a little, you know, there were characters that were set and a little bit of stories. But all this gesture also came to make, you know, to make the audience understand what were the subtext of, of the character. I'll send it to you. It'd be very interesting. Talking that would about be wonderful. Theater, Willem, I think I've mm-hmm. met you when you were living in Tribeca and I was living in Tribeca and you were your, right. you had your experimental theater. Right, the Worcester Group, yes. I was, yes. I was with that company for many, many years and they still exist, uh, but because of uh, various reasons, uh, I had to leave and, uh, but they, they still go, it's, it's not the same, but that was a big part of my life. It was and a that big was part my... of your life, I remember. Uh, yeah. I remember, you know, that was what, Maybe 40 years ago, is that so? Um, I started in 77 and I stopped in about uh, 2003 or four. That's a long long stretch. Do you miss theater? Because you did that, but then when I... Uh, You know, uh, yeah, I've done theater. after, After I finished with the Worcester Group, I worked with three directors that I loved, uh, very fortunate. Uh, I worked with uh, Richard Foreman, who I had worked with before, who had a beautiful theater that was in St. Mark's Church for uh, a long time. It was a little chamber theater called the Ont- Ontological Hysteric Theater. 
I loved working with him. I did a piece with him at the public, and then I worked with Bob Wilson a couple of times. In fact, one time with uh, Baryshnikov, which was a, which was uh, based on a, a kind of a surrealist writer, Russian writer named Daniel Carnes, and it was principally a movement piece, which was great fun for me because. One of the beautiful things about the theater that sometimes you aren't afforded in film is you get to use your body so fully. Um, yeah. So it was a it was it was a it was a great piece because we played twins. We were dressed alike, and sometimes we'd mimic each other, and that that was a great experience. And then also I worked with this uh, great Italian director named uh, Romeo Castellucci. Do you know his I, work? I don't. You know, I don't know his work because although. I'm Italian and I often go to Italy. I've lived in America for 50 years I and I don't go so much in Italy. I do go to visit my family or some friends. Literally, I came mm -hmm. off, I, for the first time, I made a film in Italy uh, with Alicia Rodwacker. Uh, but generally, I. Oh, don't, yeah. Yeah, Alicia is very, very talented. But I don't know mm -hmm. for what reason, I don't really work much in Italy. I work mostly in America and France a lot, but not so much in Italy. When I asked why, they say that they feel that I'm a little bit of a hybrid. I'm not completely Italian because I lived uh, all my adult life abroad, and uh, and but then I'm Italian, so they don't know how to place me. I, I always had that problem, you know, that I could never be cast as a, a family. Because in English, I have an accent, and all of a sudden, you'd say, well, why is that sister speaking differently? So that was always an, an Italian, although Italy, Italian is my first language, but my mom was Swedish. She was the actress Ingrid Bergman, and I grew up right. in France. So right. even in Italian, I don't have an accent, but I don't roll my R's, which is, I say, the French R. Uh, so, for example, my last name is Rossellini. I say Rossellini, but in Italian, it would be Rossellini. Roma. I say Roma. Roma. So I have also, it's not an accent, but I have some letters that I pronounced differently. So. Ah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I recently, for the first time, dubbed myself in Italian. Oh, that is really hard. <laughs> dubbing Very is so difficult. hard. And I hate dubbing because you lose a lot. Yes. You, lose, you lose tone, you lose breath. And the Italians are very proud of their dubbing. Quite Incredible. Frankly. It's terrible. I, I, I prefer subtitles any day, even though there's a feeling of reduction of the text and all that. It, you intuit a lot just by the tonal yes. uh, and the, the, the breath and, and sometimes even the accent, even if you underst don't understand the word, it's music, you know. But I did it and it was very difficult and we got it to an okay place, I thought. But then I couldn't resist because I was kind of curious because it was a release for uh, it was a film that I shot with Abel Ferrara, who I've worked with a lot in Italy. But for the video release, it was dubbed. And so I was curious. So I went online to see like the trailer dubbed. Anyone that has any interest in following me, they're used to hearing me dubbed in another language, uh, in, an, in another voice. someone yes. else's voice. So it was disturbing. To hear my voice in Italian, and I, I played a foreigner, so I could have an accent still. <laughs> it wasn't no, but right. now that you mentioned that, that would also be the reason why I don't work so much in Italy, because I am known, because also my parents were very known and all that, but, yes. um, but uh, and they know my voice because I worked on television in Italy. I don't dub my film because I found it so different. So just to explain, if there's somebody that hears this podcast, mm -hmm. In, in Italy, all films that are foreign are not subtitled, but they are dubbed. And often the people that dub the film are very known in Italy and very revered. But you might have Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman have the same person dubbing them. Uh, so the voice is gone. It's a fantastic interpretation of what they do, but it is not, it doesn't make the person, um, it does, you don't identify actors by their voices, especially foreign actors. But Fellini said something interesting because, you know, in America, everybody was so shocked about uh, Italian dubbing oh, great yeah. actors. Mm -hmm. 
and Fellini said, when it, because it was, he worked with my father and I knew him when I was a little girl, he said, I don't understand it, you know, but I can create a whole character by using dubbing because I can take a, a very big man and have a little girl dub him. And there you have, you have a character that immediately stank, but he was a caricaturist. He made a lot of drawing with caricature. And so I understand that use of, uh, of you can create a person or you create a character. But I, I find it, when I grew up in Italy, I went to see all the films, including my mom, Ingrid Bergman, Casablanca, Notorious. I seen them all dubbed at first and it didn't disturb me. But now that I hear the original, I have a hard time hearing films that are dubbed. Sure. I, 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 when you're talking about the same voice for Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, famously this, this movie Heat, and De Niro and Pacino had scenes together. And they were in crisis because they have the same voice in Italian. So when it was released in Italy, it had a lot of trouble finding commercial traction, even though they were wildly popular actors, because people were confused that one of them did not have their regular voice. Pretty strange, huh? It is strange. Just one second, because yeah. I, I, I put something in the oven, oh, but I okay. want to turn it, I don't want to burn my lunch. What Just is it? Second. What is it? <laughs> Ah, okay. Uh, uh, parmigiana. Ah, okay. <laughs> it just smell like something was burning. Okay, it's okay. Willem, you've worked with so many directors. Can I, I'm going to list a few because I don't think there is anybody who worked with so many directors as you have. Scorsese, Wes Anderson, Lars von Trier, Tony Scott, Oliver Stone, David Lynch, Paul Schrader, Bim Wenders. Julian Schnabel, Abel Ferrara, of course, David Cronenberg, Spike Lee, even Theos Angelopoulos. I mean, amazing. I don't think there is anybody who has worked with so many different uh, directors. And sometimes you work with seven, seven films with the same director. Right. Director is very important to me. I love a strong director because I feel like uh, then I can relax and really give myself to the project. I don't, I don't worry. I feel much freer. But I appreciate that because if I'm left to my own devices, I'm sure I'd go to the same well all the time. Um, it takes a certain kind of intervention or a certain kind of discipline to be open each time to kind of recreate your process. And I think that's very important. And of course, there's some go-to things or there's some tendencies you have, but I always find it most rewarding if I, that's kind of taken away from me. If I know why I'm doing a project, then I don't worry about the result. If I like the people, if I like their work, if it inspire, they inspire me, then I try to be there for them. And that frees me. Ultimately, it's a selfish goal because then I feel like I do my best work that way. But the truth is, if you go towards someone else's vision that's not yours, it makes you freer, I think. So. You want someone with a really strong and personal view of things. You don't just want a stylist. Then you're kind of interchangeable, and then it kind of becomes a craft game. You want to get in their head and try to complete the world that they create. I mean, look, something as simple as when we both worked with David uh, Lynch on, uh, you worked with him on, uh, Couple of Wild at Heart, we did it. Well, but Wild at Heart, we did together. And I remember that was like the, there's a logic. We no, were I there agree with to you. I complete that world. To complete that world, yes. I, 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 am, I too, for me, working with different directors, if they have a, a brilliant mind and if the, you know, you just, I would say, you enter into their brain. It's like taking a touristic trip into some other mm. person intelligence. And um, I also, the most satisfactory is when you can make their idea come more alive. So that instead of saying, I see the character like this and fight it, you say, no, okay, what do you see? And you search with them. Because sometimes the ideas, David used to say to me, sometimes the ideas are, it's like thin ice. I know it's right, but I need, and I mean, David directs like this, you know, he doesn't really verbalize what he wants, but he, you show, you start the scene with some mood 
and you can see from his face if he's happy or not. <laughs> and if he smiles and he's very happy, you go more in that direction. And it's a back and forth until, you know, it's shaped, the scene is shaped. And, and that to me, I like that process. I like the process of making film very much because it's a collaboration. Me too, me too. I and, and personally, that's always more interesting than the film. <laughs> yes, or when a film comes out, people think, I mean, sometimes I say the best film is the one that we don't have to present to the press and have all the reviews <laughs> and read all the bad reviews <laughs> and the red carpets. I mean, it's, to me, it's really the process, not so much uh, the, the release. When the films are released, of course, we have to be released. and. We want them to be successful, sure. but that is the part that I like the least. Yeah, I agree, but I like that fine too because it's so connected to you know doing more and getting the film out there, and I'm I'm down with that. I guess I feel more like I love the adventure of making a film, and and it's probably why I'm not a director. I think you have to let a little responsibility go about where you're going you know, what the film's going to be. And you have to just be there to receive what's going on. And if you can get in that place and you can have the right situation and whether it's an exotic thing or something very close to you, whatever it is, it's a good way to live. It's, it's stimulating and it feels useful because you're working with a team to make something that's either going to um, inspire them or uh, distract them or make them laugh or something. So, you know, I'm happy as a clam when I'm working. Yeah, me too, I like that. Do, do, did you find yourself yeah. happier to work with some director and some were more difficult? Were some the research to express what they were looking for was more difficult than others, I would imagine? I think so. I, I always get scared when an actor, when a director thinks he knows what the actor's process is. <laughs> and tries to speak actors' language because they, you know, everyone's different. And I, you, I've met, I've worked with some directors. I'm sure you have too. Where, you know, they're smart enough to know that they have to deal with every actor differently, particularly in the states, but not just in the states. But, you know, beautiful thing about film is there isn't a cookie cutter education for it. So sometimes you're working with people that used to be models or people that used to be a cook or someone that was a driver, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. Some are classically trained, some are theater actors. It's a mixed bag and everybody, there's no uniform system. So you have to treat everybody, kind of uh, see what they need and see what you need. And it's, it's a nice social meeting every time, I think. You've got such an interesting career. Last time I saw you, you know, you were, you, it's a long time ago, actually. I've probably seen you since, but I mean, last time I saw you at like a screening or something of, of something you did was green porno. Oh, <laughs> you see green porno. Oh, sure, I've become, yeah. I have become a director myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, and also, also, uh, you, you always surprise me by the choices you make, and they're so different and so eclectic, and I, I like it a lot. I, I don't catch everything, but I'm always happy to see you, and I'm always, um, and personally, I, I've said it before, and I don't want to embarrass you, but you're, maybe it's your upbringing, but you're so elegant and so um, oh, graceful, graceful, graceful with people socially, I think. And uh, a lot of actors uh, don't have that quality because they're scared, scared and, and they're and they're um, worried about uh, offending people or speaking their mind. You know. Yes. So actors generally, I mean, it's hard to generalize, but actors are shy. Surprisingly, most people are very shy. I mean, my mom, for example, she said always she wasn't. She was a very shy person. And uh, acting, because she wasn't herself, she felt when I'm on stage or I'm on a film set, I feel like a lion. And also knowing the story. She always said, I'm always anxious about life, but in a film, I know what is the next scene and I know what the character is ending up. And so that was, so in the moment that she was acting, she felt a great uh, 
release, you know, a great uh, freedom mm -hmm. and, and happiness. I'm not as shy as my mom, and but I think I, I'm a raconteur, so I like to tell stories, mm -hmm. and I like mm -hmm. to work with directors, me too, for me it's very, very important to, you know, when I, sometimes I read a script, but most of all, I want to know who's going to direct. And sometimes a script is just a vague indication of something. Um, but exactly. if I meet the person or seen the work that I've done before, um, that's what I want to work with. I have to tell you a story about Bob Wilson, because I work with Bob no. Wilson too. So Bob Wilson proposed to me a play by uh, uh, Umberto Eco. And uh, I read the script. I didn't understand anything. So I read the book by Umberto Eco. I didn't understand anything. So <laughs> I went with, I said, I have to have the courage to Bob wants it that way. Exactly, you know it. Him. <laughs> so I went trembling, saying, Bob, I, I want to work with you so badly. And I was so happy that you asked me to do this thing. But I have to be really sincere. I don't understand the script. And I read the book. And I don't understand the book. He said, me neither. You don't understand it? He said, of course, I don't understand it because I'm attracted to mystery. But there is a rhythm in the wor words, isn't it? And when you read Umberto Eco, it doesn't really make sense, but you're a little scared. I said, yes, I am a little scared. That's what I want to capture. And that to me was such a lesson. First of all, he freed me from this uh, narrative that it has to always make sense um, because mm -hmm abstract paintings exist. It's not only figurative painting. So a film can also be abstract. And it's the mood that you look. And David Lynch, to talk about another surrealist, uh, one day where I said, well, maybe here the film is not, I don't understand the story. He said, why, do you understand life? <laughs> so also for David, it was uh, capturing the mood. We don't understand life. We enter into a room and there is already a mood and people are convivial, there is tension, we don't know, we just adapt, but we don't know what's going on or what had happened before. And that's what is interesting to David. And that was to me so liberating when you work with directors like that. I agree in both those cases. Bob, Bob Wilson is famous for saying, I never ask an actor to know what he's thinking. That's not really what he's interested in. No, he wants an actor to submit to his form, to his language. Absolutely. You know, you're like a, a marvelous marionette is the uh, exactly. ambition Absolutely. a little bit. It's, but you're, when you're... you have that form, you can live and you can explore what's going on in a very deep way because a part of your brain and a part of your energy isn't, is submitted to a kind of uh, perfection and also uh, artificiality that creates sometimes uh, a, a mystery and a question. It isn't always a narrative that you can hop on and then you can mo be emotionally engaged, but then the story ends and you relate to it and it's complete and you feel good. But I, I think in many ways I'm interested in a more poetic theater and a more poetic film that, yes, it engages you, but it engages you through your brain. <laughs> because when, when you... When things are puzzling or things are curious, you don't know, and ultimately, they involve you more emotionally in the end, I think. Yes. Because when things are recognizable, it's, it's a beautiful, fun thing, but you hop on a train and you kind of enjoy the ride, but you're not going step by step. You aren't experiencing it in the same way that you experience poetry. Poetry, you know, poetry in, in the broadest and, sense of the word. And poetry also, by its nature, has always an ambiguity that life has. Do I like yeah. this, but I don't like that. I like it and don't like it. You know, that, that ambiguity is the, is the brain. that is. So for me, animals make me laugh. So I'm looking at David Attenborough, I look at National Geographic, and it's great, but it exists already. So when I wanted to express something that was in my heart, I said, it's the animal are so funny and so mysterious and so crazy. And so I created so this little, yes, I created this little puppet theater with myself 
that I think captures the humor. And it's, I always give the scientifically, because not only that, I even went back to university to get a master's degree in animal behavior and conservation, because the subject interests Fantastic. me so much. <laughs> and I have to say that um, having worked with many other directors, although I make this teeny film and these monologues, you know, I can't compare myself to the greatest, it always starts from a point of poetry. It always starts from a feeling that I have and I want to share. And the style that I make the film is the consequence of it to represent the best, the feeling. It never starts with the style and then goes into the feeling, um, to, mm -hmm. at least for me. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Can we talk no, about I... Abel Ferrara? How easy. He was the craziest sure. director I worked with. Is he behaving I know, I know. more? Is he tamed? Have you tamed him? Well, he, he... You know he's he's got a high his his habits and his uh, uh, character are very forefront. So to talk about him is never gossiping, I guess, because he lays it all out there. Um, I worked with Abel, you know, when he had uh, when he was living a certain kind of life, and uh, then I've worked with him since he's uh, cleaned up his life, and. Uh, uh, he's basically the same person. <laughs> he's well, just, that's very good news. More, it, it is actually. He's uh, basically the same person. I'd say just there's a trust there. Uh, you know, when someone is uh, addicted, um, they have a God that always separates, you know, you from them, particularly when you're working on something. Mm -hmm. And he says, I got to go. You guys do the scene. I'll be back. <laughs> you know, that's a problem. <laughs> But there's none of that anymore. He's, um, you know, he, he's living, uh, he's my neighbor here uh, in the city, in Rome. And uh, we're very good friends and we've made many films together. He's made two uh, lately, very quickly without me, bastard. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, actually, uh, we keep in touch. I was busy and he, he had, he, He's one of the beautiful things about Abel is he works with nothing and he likes yes. to make movies. He's a shooter, so he absolutely he's, that he's is the always, best quality. He's, he's always working, and he's his sets are wild. They're chaotic as hell, and one of the most difficult things to do in post is to remove his voice from the shooting, <laughs> because even when you're shooting like the most intimate most vulnerable, you know, sex scene or something, he's screaming the whole time. <laughs> so it's like a discipline. He's screaming directions sometimes. <laughs> I have to say that I, I didn't know, sorry, I didn't know when I did, uh, I did with him a film that is very beautiful. I really liked. I remember the funeral. Yeah. It's food, yeah, I know it. Yes. And, yeah. and, and I, I also love to work with Abel. It was very chaotic. And I really didn't know because most film is action, cut, and then you know where your scene is on. I didn't know it. It's so much chaotic that I just stay in character all the time because I didn't know. And there was a lot of improvisation of little dialogue. But even in this chaos, there was a clarity of his direction and what he wanted to capture. I really admired him. But, you know, talking about um, addiction, uh, because, I mean, it's no secret that, they, that, uh, that, that uh, Abel had the problem and he's now solving it. I worked with Dennis Harper in Blue Velvet, and Dennis had just come out of rehab for three years. And I remember I had been already hired in Blue Velvet, and David Lynch was looking uh, for the character of... Uh, um, that uh, Dennis Hopper played in Blue Velvet. And uh, when he found Dennis Hopper, I said, oh, Dennis Hopper, because of course he had the worst reputation <laughs> in the business. I said, how is he? And David said, it's like sitting next to a ticking bomb. That's how he <laughs> described him. <laughs> but actually, I... he, he, he worked, working with him, it was one of the most profound experiences I've had because Dennis had no more judgment. He had been so down on himself and he had experienced really hell and came out of it that working with him in these very difficult scenes of rape and all that, he was the perfect partner. I felt completely protected 
but him as a human being, that he was playing this evil man that was um, raping me in a ritual, I raping remember, my character in an ritualistic well. way. And I asked him, how did you end up being a drug addict and having to come out of it? And uh, he said, you know, maybe it was the 60s, the drugs were around and all that, but I believed for a long time that I needed the drugs in order to act because I was so shy and so intimidated and I was so afraid that I wasn't good enough that the drug gave me that confidence. And uh, this is the first film that I do completely clean. And it was so happy um, to work so well and the film went so well and it got so much praise. So yes. sometimes the people that go through that journey are the most wise, isn't it? I'm hesitant to say, but because it's, I always dislike when actors talk about woulda, shoulda, coulda kind of stories. But do you know, I was at the Gulf Western building and they told me to go up to Dino De Laurentiis' office to meet him. And that's where I first met David. And they had me read Blue Velvet. And they said, basically, we think we've got a Frank Booth role cast, but we're not sure. Ah, because they could, they could, you could have played, because you often play villain. So they were going to, you right. were going to do the Dennis Hopper role. What, what happened no, then? Don't, don't say, don't say that. It was like, clearly, they probably were a little nervous about Dennis or the deal wasn't done and they wanted to have someone waiting in the wings. Well, I, you know, I met David Lynch in a restaurant and I was having dinner with uh, Dino De Laurenti's uh, wife who died recently, yes. Martha, such a wonderful yes. lady. Yes. And another yes. friend, and mm -hmm. and David was sitting in a table, uh, in the same restaurant with one of uh, mm -hmm. um, Dino De Laurenti's son-in-law. So we joined the table. We all sat together, mm -hmm. and I didn't know David. He had not, I mean, he had done Elephant Man, maybe I forgot, but he wasn't as known, mm -hmm. of course, as as now. And mm -hmm. I had just finished a film, where I also worked with Misha Barishnikov in a film called White Nights. And the other know, actress know, was sure. Helen Mirren and then the great uh, Gregory Hines. And David wanted so badly to have Helen Mirren for Blue Velvet for the role that I ended up playing. And all the night he tormented me about, Can, do you have Helen Mirren's phone number? Can you give it to me wow. if I want to talk to her? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the next day, and Helen turned down the film because the film of course is very controversial and she was, uh, uh, she didn't want to be part of, of something as controversial uh, that required nudity and all that. So That's anyway, surprising that's, because she's famous for being able to uh, deal yes, with that. Yes, I, I, I think that, you know, the way she explained it to me, because, so, but the next day after the dinner, I received yeah, the sorry, script go. and David, yeah. a, a note saying, second thought, maybe you can play Dorothy Balance. That's the name of the character. Wow. So then we sure, rehearsed remember. a scene and we, so, and I spoke to Helen and I said, why did you turn it down? But Helen said, no, it's, it isn't the script. It is right now, this moment in my life, um, because her husband was getting a divorce uh, to marry her. And she didn't want to be in that moment of divorce and complication oh, okay. and children in a controversial film. So, um, and then nobody could have predicted that Blue Velvet became so known. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful film. And who would have ever thought that uh, it wasn't totally conceived around you? David told me, I don't know that he was conceived around Helen Mirren. David told me that one day when he came back from school, he saw a woman naked walking down the street and he started to cry he understood that something very wrong had happened. He wasn't excited, he wasn't titillating. And that was the image, that fragment, that sometimes wow. a director grabs and creates a character. And I think that that was the fragment that inspired the character of Dorothy Balance. What happened? What was the story behind this woman who walked naked in the street? She came, you know, and then, she, and then we repeated the scene and that's why it required that nudity. Uh, that I walked down the street nude, uh, bruised, because I come from yep. probably yep. A, a, a ritualistic, sadistic, uh, a torturous rape. Wow, that's a that's an incredible story.
about the But then we worked back. together in Wild at Heart, and I remember it too. Yes. It was quite fun. And did you, so David allowed me in, in the films that I did with him to, to create a little bit of the look. So for the character that I played was named her Spedita Durango, a wonderful I name. I remember, you were my girlfriend, basically. I, I, yes, I was your girlfriend. <laughs> and I, because you were such a bad guy and we were such <laughs> sleazy people, that I wanted to have uh, both to be re repellent, but also sexy. And, sexy. and I thought you of did it. And I, I thought of Frida Kahlo, because the painter Frida Kahlo, uh, she she's kind of, you know, she has eyebrows that she had, you know, that is one yes. big brow. Sometimes she has You're a little a bit of mustache, and yet she's yeah. so appealing and attractive. So I m copied a little bit the Frida Kahlo look. I remember asking David, can I have just a little bit of moustache? She said, no, that's too much. Although Patti Smith occasionally has a little bit of moustache, and I found that would be quite uh, powerful, you know, quite intriguing, yeah, it's frightening, but attractive. But David didn't allow me the moustache, but I had the one eyebrow. You had those teeth, so strange. Right. Who decided, yeah. who chose those teeth? Uh, it was in the script and, and a uh, little story that I always tell, it shows how actors sometimes limit themselves in their imagination. I read on the script, it says, he has stumpy, discolored teeth. And I just assumed the, uh, I assumed it wasn't a huge, huge budget film. So I figured they would just discolor my teeth because I don't have the most beautiful teeth in the world as it is. <laughs> and then when I went to see David, he was like, we got to get you to the dentist. And I thought, he said, we got to get those teeth. And it ended up that they made, um, you know, full dentures that went over my teeth for these huge gums, these kind of not too healthy looking gums and these very stumpy teeth. And the thing that that became the key for the character, because when they put uh, the dentures over my teeth, I couldn't close my mouth. So all the time, I was like this, and I say, if you had to do this, it immediately makes you feel kind of lascivious, like you want to suck on something or you want to say something vulgar, you know? It was, it was a key to the character. It, I, I feel like uh, while at heart, I had so many externals that worked uh, as triggers for my imagination that I didn't, I didn't sweat about preparation or anything, I, I felt very happy just to show up on the set. Of I course, David teeth. is a painter, so for and his imageries are so strong. Yeah. That's only photographic. Uh, the, 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 the way he places the camera, the set. Um, I always find costume to be a very important process. Costume makeup, because he defines so much the character I play. Is it the same for you? Yes. Not only it defines it, but sometimes it can be a real mask. You know, it can it can do a lot of work. You know, it's all it's almost like sometimes I'm not this cynical, but you know, sometimes you're like, ah, the costume's going to do this one. <laughs> you know, if it's very strong, sometimes you you don't have to work it. You have to just be and wear that costume well, and then that makes your body move in a certain way. That makes you. Imagine how people are looking at you in a certain way. You know, if you have something that you really feel good in and you feel like it's strong, then you're going to take on that strength in your performance. If you feel like it's something really repulsive, then you're going to slide into that repulsion. Or if you feel real handsome and you got to be handsome, then, you know, uh, you know, Clothes make the man, what can I say? Or the person. Do, do you have the same thing? Sorry, because I'm also a model. I'm not only an actress. Do you have the same thing with fashion? I mean, is fashion does wearing your clothes gives you occasionally um, a mood or helps you get a mood or not? Definitely, but I feel like I don't enter that uh, black hole that is fashion, you know? Uh, <laughs> I, I like nice clothes, and when you feel good in clothes, it's great, but I tend to wear a uniform. You know, I always think of that Ingmar Bergman with his, uh, you know, closet of 30 turtlenecks and one jacket and one pair of trousers, you know? 
Ah. To me, that is a great definition of elegance. I always, I always think that uh, the summit of elegance is when somebody finds a, a kind of a uniform. I remember uh, working with David. Um, he also wears the same clothes. And I remember going to a, a French designer called Agnès B and just helping oh, sure. the shirt and the khaki pants and the shirt. And I think he still probably wears that. And yes, there is something to be said about having a uniform because it becomes your second skin, but also clothes tell who you are. Of course, when we play, the costume can create an extreme or something that it isn't us, uh, like my big eyebrow in Petita Durango and Wild at Heart or blue eyeshadow, red lipstick, black uh, wig and, white, and blue velvet. So in life, I cannot do that extreme. But I do tend to um, also have a wardrobe like Igma Bergman, the same thing. Well, also, because you're, you're revealing yourself through your choice of your clothes. And it's a little bit, maybe that goes back to the thing about you say about shyness. I don't think I'm particularly socially elegant, so I guess I'm a little shy. So I don't want to reveal that about me. I, I reveal myself through characters and things, and then who I really want to reveal myself is a very small circle. So when you think about presenting yourself to the world, that's what, why the uniform appeals to me, because people, it doesn't express anything specific. You know, it puts more emphasis on your body or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, well, I've, you know, I always, I don't know. I always say that the elegance is the definition. The elegance, when I'm asked what is the definition of elegance, it always said the definition of elegance is not a combination of clothes. It's a, it's a thought behind the clothes. And that's yes. uh, when you see that, that thought, even for you, I want to be, you know, I'm an actor. I want to be a uniform, right. very simple, black, I no, don't know, yeah. black t-shirt, black pants. It means I'm a, pup, I'm, a, I'm a puppet or a puppeteer, I'm both. And, you know, so to me, that's the definition of elegance. But, you know, talking about, you said that sometimes the clothes create a character. I remember reading about Audrey Hepburn when she did uh, My Fair Lady, that, um, you know, she has to come out in My Fair Lady and Professor Higgins finally sees Pygmalion, sees her finally as this beauty. And uh, she said that the, that the clothes she war were so beautifully done that she also felt the same she said i don't have to do anything i just have to stand there because the clothes would do it for me and uh, of course i always think of that scene because it's that silhouette that beautiful outfit that she wears and her very simply standing that made that convey that moment of revelation to professor higgins oh this is a beautiful woman <laughs> It's fun to talk about this stuff because it always reminds you that, you know, when you make a film or you do a play, it's such a convergence of all these different choices and all these different uh, contributions that, you know, sometimes we get a little too, I'm not being f falsely modest but, or, or coy or anything, but really I'm, I'm obsessed by this. We get obsessed with the actor too much. The actor, of course, is the thing we see, but the actor... You know, the best thing an actor can do is be receptive to what's in the air and what they're making and what's given to them and what they make from what's given to them. And all these conversations about external things or process or director all indicate that. As I get older, I, I want to disappear more and more and more into the role, not in a typical method way, but one of the things that a great a great thing that I learned from being with the Wooster Group, which was a real gift, is the technicians were as important as the actors. And sometimes the actors served like technicians, and sometimes the technicians served as actors. So there was a kind of um, equality that was, not only did it take off a certain kind of pressure, but it recognized that um, made you feel more flexible. Uh, you were always clear about when you had to drive and when you had to react. And that's, that's a very important thing to know and what your, what your function is in the overall thing. Uh, sometimes there are great actors 
and they stand out and you love to watch them do their thing, but they don't integrate into the movie. Uh, I, I won't name any names, but you know, sometimes <laughs> that happens. And okay, that's fun, but on some level, I think that's, uh, that becomes very limiting. For me, the ambition, and it's what I like to see in actors, you know, is this kind of integration, uh, this kind of uh, lack of neediness or need, need to take, you know, the stage. Sometimes, okay, you gotta, as I say, drive, but I, I like these things where it's kind of like, you can't help yourself. There's a logic, there's a kind of objectivity, there's a kind of clarity to you're the product of many things. Exactly. No, exactly. No, I, I. Can I ask you, I have one curiosity. You have children. Yeah, as, as, I, I have one. One. And yeah. it, 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 is he attracted? Two grandchildren. Does he want to be an act? Two grandchildren. I have two grandchildren too. Is there anyone of the grandchildren or your child want to be actors or want to are in the business? No, my, my son, he's, he's 40 years old. He's a lawyer that clerks for uh, uh, justices, for judges. Wow. That's his job. And he used to work for an environmental law firm, uh, uh, law concern down south. Um, but he, I think he, his mother was a director and me, his father, uh, uh, an actor. And I think somewhere deeply, he didn't want to compete. He didn't want to have that life. And he also grew up in the theater and also performed with us. And he was perhaps the most beautiful dancer I ever saw when he was a child. And he would perform with us when he was a child. And he was fantastic. And so much so that other people wanted to use him. Not a conventional dancer, but people downtown making films and that sort, sort of thing. Joe Andrus, for example, um, uh, the late wife of uh, Steve Buscemi used him in her films. Uh, but then when he hit adolescence, identity time came, and I think he, he didn't want to uh, compete or follow in the same, uh -huh. uh, uh, be in the same world. Uh -huh. And he was I always understand. A... I mean, I'm the daughter of somebody famous, and I became an actress ah, in my 30s. Yeah. You yeah, know, I, okay. because I mean, modeling, uh, I, you know, I worked as a model and I loved it because I had nothing. I mean, I thought he had then that had nothing to do with acting. Then, little did I know, once I started acting, no, once I was deep into modeling, I said, well, you know, it is Similar. a little bit about acting. <laughs> Similar. You don't have words, but you have to say you're emoting, you're, you're, you know, you can't just stop there in front of the camera, you have to do something. And, uh, and so that's what gave okay. me the courage. But I think it was because I was a known model that I had the courage to try acting. I was asked, like your son, I was asked to act and I always turned it down. And then it was around 30. And the first film I made in America was with, with Misha Barishnikov. Uh, with with whom right. I've stayed very good friends. Right. I, I nice. totally ah, I say adore hello Misha. To him. Yes, I adore Misha. I think he's so and I adore that he continued to dance. I don't know how old he is, 70, 75. He continues to dance. For him, his movement is the expression of the body. It isn't jumping high. There's, hmm. Yes, he did that when he was young, but he's such an inspiration to me. Um and uh, I agree. And then the second film I did was Blue Velvet with David Lynch. So I was lucky to start with such wonderful people that yeah. encouraged me to continue. I got to go back to what you said about modeling. I haven't like modeled, modeled, but you know, I've done photo shoots and I, I did a campaign for Prada and I even did the uh, catwalk once uh, for Prada. You know what? I like it. <laughs> it's fun. It, it is, is performing. Fun. It is fun. It is performing. And, and also when you and, do the catwalk, to me, the most interesting part of catwalk is that you understand the designer's point of view. And the designers can be like a director. They have, if they're a strong designer like Prada, they do have a point of view. And sometimes when you go in a shop, the shop has already edited what they think will sell. So you don't see the yes, complete yes. collection. But once you see the complete collection, you really understand the process and the creativity, and it is very interesting.
And also, I, I like the relationship with the photographer because you're, maybe you know their work, maybe they're famous, maybe it's a wild card, you're taking a risk. But it's a very immediate kind of call and response. They have a rough idea of what they want to do, and then they lay it on you, and then you either fill it or you take it someplace else, you know? It is, and, to my, sometimes it feels to me that it is the same relationship that... Uh, we have as actors, you know, we say acting is reacting and a lot of it is listening and reacting. And sometimes you can have a partner that really works and you play off very well. And sometimes it works less well. And it's the same to me, the same relationship between two actors is the relationship that I have with the photographer. I often find myself mm -hmm. reacting to the photographer, looking at him in the lens and reacting to what he sends me back. If he's smiling, right. I smile back. If he's worried, I'm worried uh, or trying to please. And that's how I, <laughs> you know, I shape my expression and then wait for him to click whenever he wants. But I feel like it's a very instant thing. And I, 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 I like it. Uh, it when it works well, it's a lot of fun. When it works well, it's a lot of fun. And I agree, it's yeah. brief. I, I always had a, a probably a dedicated myself more to modeling and acting also um, because I had two children and modeling. I always knew that even the big job was finished in three, four days. A film might ask you to go away for three or four months. And that was much harder um, when you have a family. Sure. So I always favored modeling until I got too old. Um, and then I can't model anymore. <laughs> no, you're still modeling. I still occasionally, but not uh, uh, not as as when I was young. But Willem, it's but just you want so great. To. I talking about. I have to go because I have. I'm working yes. with Dolce and Gabbana next. Uh, talking about another ah, okay. fantastic designers. So, uh, but it was so great to see you. And, okay. Uh, yeah, say hi it's to nice Jada. To do this. Uh, we are so proud to have She's you well. in Italy. Uh, and um, yeah. and speaking Italian and integrating in Italy and a huge hug to Abel, your neighbor, Abel Ferrara. Great. I will. I will. Okay. Great. Take care. Thanks for listening. The A24 podcast is produced by us, A24. Special thanks to our editor, Tom Wyatt, and Robot Repair, who composed our theme.